As we come together, we come on the second Sunday of Advent. Last Sunday when we gathered, we had the one purple candle lit, the candle of hope. Today we have also the second candle lit, the candle of peace. So may the peace of Christ fill us in this time of worship, in this season of anticipation, and now especially as we come together to worship the living God. Join me as we read responsively then from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. Friends, let us worship God.
excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest, because of God's provision of salvation in Jesus Christ, where he takes our brokenness, our sins, and holds it close to his heart, placing it upon the shoulders of the Savior Jesus the Christ, and through the Spirit assures us of our salvation in him. We therefore can come with that promise, that sure and certain promise. And so therefore, in one voice and one heart, let us confess our sins to God and with one another. Almighty God, who sent a star to guide the Magi to the Holy Child Jesus, we confess that we have not followed the light of your word. We have not searched for signs of your love in the world or trusted good news to be good. We have failed to praise your son's birth and refused his peace on earth. We have expected little and hoped for less. Forgive our doubt and renew in us all fine desires so we may watch and wait and once more hear the glad story of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Friends, here in person and online, receive, believe, and trust in the good news of God in Jesus Christ once again, that God so loved us that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, the eternal word made flesh, the one who dwells with us, full of grace and truth. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Amen. May the peace of Jesus Christ be with you. God has given us peace with him and with one another. Therefore, let us share signs of God's love and peace with one another. Find creative ways to do that, both here in person and online, not only this season, but every single season of the year. Amen. Well, friends, we have gathered as family to praise God, to receive God's forgiveness, and to offer that to others as we recreate, in some sense, the peace that God gives to us. And so now that means we can talk about some family business and be at peace about it, I suppose. <laughs> Let me share with you just a few of the things that are coming up in the next few weeks in this continuing busy season. First of all, this coming Wednesday is our annual Women's Christmas Luncheon. It will be held out in the tent today, uh, under the tent uh, this coming Wednesday at 11.30. Uh, if you are planning to attend, we do need to have your RSVP, and there is a table outside on the patio uh, to receive your RSVP. Next Sunday at 7 o'clock here in the sanctuary, we will have our village community chorale, also accompanied by a small orchestra, presenting a very Baroque Noel. It's absolutely gorgeous music. Because we're going to be inside and because we want to allow the singers not to wear masks, we can actually hear them a little better without their having masks. We are asking that everyone in the congregation please be masked. So let us know that you're planning to come, but do plan to come and enjoy the beautiful music of the season. The following Sunday, two weeks from today, we're kind of shifting everything, and our full choir is going to be outside on the patio at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. They'll also be doing a Christmas concert, but it's going to include some other kinds of music, not just religious, and you'll have the chance to sing along. So that's the way to do it. Now, if you want to sing, join with us outside. And then, of course, on Christmas Eve, we will go back to our traditional schedule of times. At 2 o'clock, we will be on the patio. 
At 4 o'clock, we will be in the sanctuary, and that service will be live-streamed as well as recorded. And then at 6 o'clock, we'll be out on the patio, and at 11 o'clock, we'll be back in the sanctuary. And then sometime around 2 o'clock in the morning, I plan to fall exhausted, comatose, in bed. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm going to be waiting for Santa Claus at that point. So that's coming up in our schedule. Please make your plans accordingly. Now, I want to let you know that we are changing a little bit and, in a sense, returning to one of our old traditions here, old meaning pre-COVID times, related to our offering, the act of bringing an offering into worship is not primarily so that the church can keep its books balanced, although it's very helpful in that way. The act of offering, coming before God and giving something to God, is an act of worship. And of course, since the pandemic, we have encouraged you to send your offerings in through the mail, or since we've been back on campus, to drop your offerings in the white boxes that are located outside. Well, today we have a couple of new ways for you to offer, one that's brand new and one that's actually very old. The old way is that you might notice we have a couple of offering baskets located on the pedestals here on either side. If you would like to come forward to make an offering in worship, we invite you to do that. You do not have to, of course, but if you wish to do so, we invite you to do that during the offertory period, which is going to come up right after I'm finished. We also, though, if you'll take out your bulletins and look on the back of your bulletins, we have something called a QR code. I have no idea what a QR stands for. I have no idea how it works. All I know is that if you put your camera, uh, put your phone on camera mode and hover it over the QR code, a little thing will pop up on your screen and you punch that and your bank account will immediately be drained of all funds and it will go to the village church. That is the way it works, right? Okay, excellent, excellent. <laughs> At any rate, those are many opportunities, many ways that you have to give. Let me encourage you to give for the sake of your soul and the sake of Christ's work in the world. And we do that now as we listen to some gorgeous music.
Will you please join me in a time of prayer, a time to lift up our hearts to the Lord, and we will finish together saying the Lord's Prayer. Let us now come before God's gracious throne and pray. Gracious Almighty God, you are the God who gives peace. On this second week of Advent, cause us to remember that because of Jesus, we can experience a Christmas free from turmoil and chaos. Regardless of our circumstances or situations, you offer us peace that surpasses understanding. The first Christmas when you sent your son, you sent the one who is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Even the angels cried out, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The angels knew your purpose. They knew the gifts of hope, peace, joy, and love that Christmas held. They recognized the fullness of God was wrapped in the tiny flesh of an infant as you humbled yourself and dwelt among us. Emmanuel. We are so often like the shepherds also, Lord, feeling like we are doing our job, our work, and have a peaceful moment in the still of the night. Out of your love for us, God, and a desire that we might know and experience afresh the freedom in our soul, new life, holy and acceptable to you, you broke into our everyday lives and brought good news. You rattled us from complacency of job and duty and gave us authority to tell the story of the birth of Christ to experience afresh the peace and joy that comes in Jesus. You are indeed the Christmas story, the one that says we are beloved and that you, our God, has come in flesh in the person of Jesus. Let us live in care as he would call each of us to do. Because you are working in our hearts, we boldly lift in prayer those in need and ask how we might do more than send funds and ask others to care for those whom you have called us to remember. We lift up the people of Syria and Afghanistan, those who have escaped great turmoil, those who have lost loved ones in battle in the transition of power, and those in trying to get to freedom. Lord, we ask that you would bless the local missions, the missions of San Diego Rescue Mission, Urban Life, Care House, New Day, Urban Ministry, Urban Youth Collaborative, Young Life, and all those involved in ministry and mission here and globally. Lord, we ask that you would put your healing hand upon Russ and Bob, upon Adrian and his family and so many others whom we name in our hearts knowing you are the good physician. Help us to know the unfathomable love that you show and guide us as we give that love to others. Bless us this season of Advent as we look to the light of Christmas, sharing the love of your Son in whose name we pray with the prayer he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, stand with me as you are able, so that together we may give our full attention to the reading and the hearing of God's Word, 
as we find it recorded in the second chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There are many questions that arise in our minds, perhaps, as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We wonder what it might have been like to be there at the stable. We wonder whether or not it actually was the dead of winter or perhaps some other time. We wonder, perhaps, just how many of the Magi there were, even though we always say three. Those are some of the questions about Christmas. There are other questions, of course, that also fill our minds. And in my household, one of the biggest questions so far this year has been whether or not to decorate. The reason for that is because at the moment we have no events planned whatsoever in our home. The kids are all supposed to be off with the in-laws and the outlaws or somewhere, and we're going to go mooch off of them at Christmas time. And so that question pops into your mind, do we really need to decorate for Christmas? If we need decorations, we can just come here and live at the church. We kind of do that already. So then the question becomes, well, you can't totally not decorate for Christmas, so what's the most important thing to have at Christmas time? What is the quintessential Christmas decoration? How would you answer that question? Maybe we would all say the most important Christmas decoration is the tree. 
you have to have a tree. Or maybe the most important decoration is the lights. How boring would a tree be unless there were lights on it? Or maybe it's Santa Claus, right? You've got to have Santa Claus if you're going to have Christmas. And if you're going to have a tree, and if you're going to have lights, and if you're going to have Santa, then maybe you also need to have one of those little toy electric trains running around the outside of it. This is a problem. I'm sure all of you can identify what to you is the quintessential, absolutely essential decoration for Christmas. I would propose to you there is only one candidate, and that's the Christmas crash, the nativity scene. That was kind of the answer in my household. I hadn't really realized it until thinking about it not long ago. Back in the old days when we lived in the manse just down the road here from the church and we welcomed usually five or six or sometimes ten different groups into the household at Christmas time, we would decorate to the hill. Now you understand, we means Helen and others, not me. <laughs> That's the royal we, Dick. That's what I'm saying there. And as some of you experienced, when people would come into the house, they would see all of the nativity scenes we had set up, and they would ask us, how many do you have? And our answer would be, we're not sure. Go count them. The highest number anybody ever got to was around 200, and we actually never came to an absolutely accurate count, but it was somewhere north of 200. To us, for me and my household, you might say, the nativity scene is the quintessential, non-negotiable, you cannot have Christmas without it kind of decoration. Some of you may know this history of the Christmas crash. I didn't know that there actually would be any history. It's one of those things that's just sort of always been here, but we're told actually with some certainty that in the year 1223, 798 years ago, St. Francis of Assisi asked for permission from Pope Honorius III to create what is now known as the first Christmas creche. Francis rounded up an ox and a donkey and a manger, and he placed them in a small cave in the Italian village of Grecchio. And then he invited all the people of the village to come and to see this recreation of the Christmas scene. And he took that opportunity to teach the people about the stories of the birth of Christ. It was actually a brilliant move because most likely almost no one in that village could read, and even fewer would have owned a Bible. That's how people learned back then, was from physical depictions of biblical stories. And I would propose that we still have much to learn in the same way. You will see everywhere around our campus, nativity scenes, all sizes, all shapes, all kinds of artistic expressions. 
And we will focus, rightly so, we'll focus on Jesus, the baby Jesus. We'll focus on Joseph and Mary, our largest nativity scene, our oldest scene, the one that's by the front door as you come into the sanctuary, has, of course, Jesus and Joseph and Mary. Those seem to be the non-negotiable characters of the nativity scene. you got to have those three. I mean, go online to Costco or Amazon, and every basic nativity set has those three. But then you start paying extra for a sheep or two, <laughs> or a camel, or the wise men. Several years ago, I spoke about Herod as one of the characters of Christmas. And I noted that as far as I knew of the 200 or so nativity sets that we had in my household, we didn't have a single Herod. And of course, Herod was not right there at the manger, but he does figure prominently in the scene. And I'll be speaking about him next week. But a few years ago when I preached about Herod, lo and behold, that week, two different Herods were delivered to my house there is actually a, a company, I think it's, well, I shouldn't name it because we're on TV and this would be, seem like a shameless plug. So I won't name the name of the company, but there is a company that produces hundreds of different characters for the nativity scene, and one of them is Herod. So I have two Herods now. We do not set him out for obvious reasons. Well, back to the main point, though. Let's talk about the nativity scene. Who are the characters in the nativity scene? They're important. Not just Jesus. Of course Jesus is important. And Joseph and Mary. But there were others there, too. And you and I need to know who they were. You and I need to know what makes them important. Last week, Jan spoke about Zechariah and Elizabeth that were not physically present in Bethlehem as far as we knew, but they are important in the story. Later on, Neil, I think you've got the Magi, right? You've got the kings? Good. Today, today we're going to talk about the shepherds. The shepherds. Who were the shepherds? You and I need to move past any romantic idea we have about these sweet shepherds that came to worship Jesus, the ones who obviously brought the lambs. If we romanticize them, if we do not study who they were and what they're about, we will miss one of the most important points of the Christmas story itself. We know that shepherds then, as sometimes shepherds now, shepherds spent long and lonely days and oftentimes nights with only their sheep. As a result, shepherds were not known as the most clean or the most couth people in society. In fact, when you read about them from that period especially, you you get the sense that they were almost more like the sheep than they were like human beings. Shepherds in Jesus' day were at the very bottom of the social scale. They were poor. They were uneducated. People often considered them to be thieves. 
And they often had problems with shepherds because the shepherds knew that the best food for the sheep was not out in the rocky hillsides, but down in the pastures in the fields. And if you could manage it, you would have your sheep eat somebody else's crops. That did not make them very popular. Today, of course, sheep are raised everywhere in lots of different ways. But still in the Middle East, you can, as you drive through the countryside and sometimes even on the outskirts of cities, you will find eight or ten or twelve sheep, sometimes more than a hundred, being tended by a shepherd who looks almost exactly the same as they did 2,000 years ago. Regardless of whether it's the middle of summer and blazing hot or the middle of winter and cold and wet, shepherds are completely wrapped up in, in blankets and in cloaks, and usually all you can see are their eyes. Maybe that look makes them suspicious from the get-go, I don't know. But they're there tending after their sheep. That's who the shepherds were of Jesus' day. And out of all that information, the most important thing to remember is that they were at the bottom of the social scale. One other fact that we should note is that even in Jesus' day, and maybe even more so in Jesus' day, shepherds were essential workers. Without them, no sheep. Without them, no lamb, no mutton, no fleece. Shepherds were essential workers at the bottom. Let's think a little bit about what is notable, what is significant that the shepherds are in the story of the birth of Jesus. When you read the stories, when you put them together, especially between Matthew and Luke, and it's only Luke who mentions the shepherds, you note that the shepherds were the first ones to hear about Jesus' actual birth, even though they were last on the social scale. Now think about that for a minute. Some of you here have had babies. And what's one of the biggest questions that pops up into the mind of the parents when they have a child? The biggest question is, who do you tell first? Which set of grandparents get the information first? If you're smart, you text them both at the very same time. It's a problem. It's a problem. The shepherds were the very first ones to hear about the birth of Jesus. Something else. The shepherds got not one, but a whole sky full of angels to tell them the baby had been born and to sing about it. Now let's think about that in this way. Do you know how much it would cost to fill up the sky with professional singers today? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a big deal for God to send all those angels to tell about Jesus' birth and then to sing about Jesus' birth. I can't imagine the trouble it would be to put up with a whole heaven full of a choir. I love them. They know it. It's okay. Third thing about 
the fact of the shepherds at the manger. They were the first to worship and praise God and the new Savior born into the world. They were the very first ones. And the fourth thing, and this is important, not that the other things are not, the shepherds might have expected to be rejected by Joseph and Mary and not allowed to come to be with Jesus. Now, today, if you want to go be with a brand new baby and you're not the mother or the father, you have to have your shots. You aware of that? You have to be inoculated against all kinds of things so that you don't take it to the baby. And the hospital goes through all kinds. They check your identification for heaven's sakes. I don't have an ID card that says grandfather on it. When the shepherds showed up, because of their social status, their social class, they might full well have expected Joseph and Mary to say, no, you don't get to be here. But that's not what happened. They were welcomed. They were received. Maybe Joseph and Mary were staying in one of the shepherd's relatives' homes. We don't know. Maybe Joseph and Mary, probably actually Joseph and Mary, were not much higher on the social scale. And the shepherds felt comfortable, and Joseph and Mary felt comfortable having them there at the manger. Or maybe, maybe Joseph and Mary remembered what the angel had told them that they were going to have a child who would welcome all people into God's love. Whatever the reason, the shepherds came and they worshiped the child. So what are we going to say then about the message that is conveyed to us, the message that confronts us when we take the shepherds seriously? Well, we can note that God speaks and acts in all kinds of people's lives. God came to a priestly family, a fine, upstanding, high-on-the-social-scale family, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and said, you're part of my plan. God came to a blue-collar family, to the family of a carpenter, and said, you are involved in my plan. God came to a royal family, to magi, to the intelligentsia of the time, and said, you're included in my plan. And God also, equally so, came to those at the bottom if you can say there is such a thing, the bottom of the human hierarchy to the lowest of the low. Later on, as people began to get to know Jesus, they began to associate the shepherds with Jesus in a unique way that actually had been foretold in the Old Testament. They began to understand that Jesus, born of the lineage and house of David, was also a shepherd, like David was. Do you remember? That's what they called David, the shepherd king. He was out tending the sheep when he was called to become the next king of Israel. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Jesus must have had a pretty high regard for shepherds 
if he wanted to be identified as one of them. And heaven knows we need good shepherds. We need good shepherds to care for and protect others. We need good shepherds who do not abuse and use their flocks. We need good shepherds like the shepherds that Jesus knew, the shepherd that Jesus was. And so I have some questions. Not questions about what's the most important Christmas decoration, but questions for myself that might also be your questions. Questions that arise out of the existence of the shepherds at the manger. If God loves the least, who am I not to love them? If God blesses the work of even the least, who am I not to also honor and reward their work? If God uses and speaks through such as the shepherds, who am I not to look for and receive the blessing that God might have for me that comes from those that society might say are below me? And then I want to ask, who are the shepherds among us today? I've never seen a shepherd here in North County that I know of. I have seen them in the Middle East. I have seen them in New Mexico. But I see other shepherds around me, essential workers who cut the weeds and pick the produce and do the hard and dirty work of society, essential workers like bus drivers and street sweepers and housekeepers and those who pick up and sort through my garbage. Those are the shepherds among us today. And sometimes you and I might feel like shepherds. I've had the privilege of knowing quite a few kings, not literally so, but figuratively, those who are at the top of the heap. And those whom I know best sometimes believe that they are no better than a shepherd. And so maybe the presence of the shepherds at the manger is meant to say something to us, not just about how we are to think about all of God's people, but also sometimes how we think about ourselves. There's no one too low for God to love. There's no one too high for God to love. There is no one outside of the reach of the gospel and the saving love of Jesus Christ. And if we are to be like our Lord and Savior, there will be no one who is outside of our love, our respect, our honor, our welcome. And so it's important that we take our place at the manger Sometimes at the big manger outside, I see little kids actually crawl in and put their arms around Jesus and Joseph and Mary. It's a beautiful thing. Sometimes I'm tempted to leave the manger up all year long because it is the quintessential symbol of Christmas, but we don't do that. Instead, we have something that the Savior gave us, a table 
a table around which we are told one day all of God's people from east and west and north and south will sit together. A table to which God invites everyone and anyone in a complete obliteration of class and status to come sit at the table of the only one who is exalted above all. And so ministering in his name, I invite you now to come to the table. and gave it to them, saying, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you would please take your cup, or if you're in your home, take the bread and partake. Friends, in the same way, after supper, the Lord Jesus Christ took the cup. And after giving thanks to the Father, he gave it to them and said, This is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cup together. This bread and this cup are the gifts of God. They remain with us until Christ comes again. Let us join our hearts in prayer as we close this table. Gracious and holy God, you have fed us by your word. You have fed us by our time gathered together. You have fed us, Lord God, with a story that is so familiar and yet to so new to so many of us, hearing it perhaps for the first time and inviting us to come and taste and to know afresh your love. Lord, bless these elements to our body. As you have given them to us to fill us up, let us go out into the world and share that love, that joy, that peace that comes from your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask in his name. Amen.
What's at the top of your Christmas tree? I want to take a poll. How many of you have a star at the top of your Christmas tree? How many of you have an angel at the top of your Christmas tree? How many of you have a shepherd at the top <laughs> of your Christmas tree? After the first service, Andrea Acosta, closely related to our music director, went online and looked for a shepherd tree topper. The closest she could come up with was a German shepherd tree topper. I almost hate to describe it to you. It's a beautiful body of an angel with long flowing white robes with the head of a dog. I don't have anything against German shepherds. But maybe, just maybe, there is a company somewhere like the one that makes Herod's, that makes a shepherd to go on top of the tree. As far as God is concerned, there's only one tree topper. That's himself in his son. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us today and always. Amen.